Welcome back to the 12th episode of the Daily Flip Podcast. I'm your host, Alex. Today, we're going to be flipping through some of the top stories, including Ukraine making meaningful strides against Russia, and two different stories that take different perspectives about the future of American politics. And of course, we'll end today's podcast with the Daily Delight, a story meant to leave you feeling positive and ready to take on the day. Now that's enough rambling from me. Let's get to the stories. Our first one comes from the Associated Press. Russia ups pressure on the West as Ukraine gains ground. The Kremlin said Tuesday that there are no prospects for negotiating an end to the war in Ukraine and gave its blessing to efforts to swiftly bring regions already captured under Russia's complete control. Such a move could set the stage for Moscow to escalate the conflict if Ukrainian forces try to take the regions back. A close ally of Russian President Vladimir Putin, former President Dmitry Medlev, said that the fo- folding the separatist Luhansk and Donetsk regions of eastern Ukraine into Russia itself would make their withdrawal frontiers irreversible and enable Moscow to use, quote, any means to defend them. And I want to point out something interesting. When I read this article not even an hour ago, actually, I have it here. I flipped it into my, my storyboard 38 minutes ago. This was a completely different story. Uh, the old headline was, let's check here. Ukraine using captured Russian tanks firms up its lines. And now it reads, as I said earlier, Russia ups pressure on the West as Ukraine gains ground. So I guess this is a revision and I haven't seen any postings about it. So it's interesting that they start with that headline about how Ukraine is winning. And now they're having comments in here from the Kremlin, Vladimir Putin, and uh, Medvedev. But nonetheless, we must keep reading. Pressure within Russia and from Moscow-backed leaders in Luhansk and Donetsk for regional votes that would pave their way to becoming fully Russian has increased in the wake of a Ukrainian counteroffensive, bolstered by Western supply weaponry that is helping them wrestle back large areas of previously Russian-occupied territory. Moscow-backed leaders in the Russian-occupied Kurskon region of southern Ukraine and pro-Russia activists in the partly-occupied Zaporizhia region on Tuesday joined earlier calls from separatist authorities in Luhansk and Donetsk for speedy referendums on joining Russia. Such votes would almost certainly go Moscow's way. The succession of appeals and Medvedev's backing for them suggests stiffening determination in the Kremlin to fend off further territorial gains by Ukraine. So this is interesting. It was kind of... At first, we thought Russia was going to try to take all of Ukraine. We thought it was kind of hopeless. And now we see that with backing from the West, Ukraine has put up a, a good fight. So now they're trying to have these regions ratify or you know, ha- take a vote in order to join Russia. So they, they really are on the back lines here. They really are afraid because if they're pushing these people to officially join Russia and make it so that Ukraine would then be invading Russia if they were to take these areas back, it's kind of a desperate move instead of you know pushing on, taking troops out of those territories and keep going deeper into Ukraine and get closer to the, the western border. 
So, and as we learned a little bit later on here when they mentioned uh, the counteroffensive, yeah, we, we really did underestimate Ukraine. There was a lot of negative talking points in the media when this first happened. So it's, it's good to see them pushing back and holding their ground. Quote, After they are held and the new territories are taken into Russia's fold, a geopolitical transformation of the world will become irreversible, end quote, said Medvedev, who also served as Russia's president from 2008 to 2012. Quote, an encroachment on the territory of Russia is a crime that would warrant any means of self-defense, end quote, he said, adding that Russia would enshrine the new territories in its constitution so no future Russian leader could hand them back. Quote, that is why the fear those referendums is so much in Kiev, in the West, end quote, Medvedev said, quote, that is why they must be held, end quote. The recapturing of the large areas of previously Russian-occupied territory, most notably in the northeastern Kharkiv region, has strengthened Ukraine's argument that its troops could deliver more stinging defeats to Russia with additional armament deliveries. More heavy weapons is on its way, with Slovenia this week promising 28 tanks, and Germany pledging four additional self-propelled Hutzweisers. More aid is also expected from Britain, already one of Ukraine's biggest military backers after the United States. British Prime Minister Liz Truss is expected to promise that in 2023, her government will match or exceed the £2.3 billion in military aid given to Ukraine this year. The swiftness of the Ukrainian counteroffensive also saw Russian forces abandon armored vehicles and other weapons as they beat hasty retreats. Ukrainian forces are recycling captured weaponry back into battle. A Washington-based think tank, the Institute for the Study of War, said Tuesday that abandoned Russian T-72 tanks are being used by Ukrainian forces seeking to push onward into Russian-occupied Luhansk. In the counteroffensive's wake, Ukrainian officials found hundreds of graves near the once-occupied city of Izam. Yenevi Yenin a deputy minister in Ukraine's Internal Affairs Ministry told a national telecast that officials found bodies with, quote, signs of violent death. Quote, these are broken ribs and broken heads, men with bound heads, broken jaws, and severed genitalia, he said. Ukrainian officials have alleged Ukrainian, that Russian forces tortured people in occupied areas, including shocking them with radio telephones dating back to the Soviet era. And there's some Dark irony there, of course. Russia has repeatedly denied abusing or killing prisoners, though Ukrainian officials found mass graves around the city of Bukha after blunting a Russian offensive targeting this capital, Kiev, at the start of the war. Meanwhile, a Ukrainian push continues in the south of the country. Ukraine's southern military command said early Tuesday it troop, its troops sank a Russian barge carrying weapons and troops across the Nipreo River near the Russian-occupied city of Nova Kavaska. It offered no other details on the sinking of the barge in the Russian-occupied Kurzon region, which has been a major target in the Ukrainian counteroffensive. In other developments, Moscow has likely moved its Kilo-class submarines from where they were stationed on the Crimean Peninsula to southern Russia out of fears about becoming struck by a long-range Ukrainian fire the British military on Tuesday said. 
In a daily intelligence briefing, the British Defense Ministry said those submarines had almost certainly been moved to Kananaskar Kari in mainland Russia instead of a naval base at Stevenspool on the, Ukra- on the Crimean Peninsula. So this is, this is great news, and we can see a lot of fight here from the Ukrainians, and we have to commend them for defending their territory. Um, and we also have to look at Russia's political moves and notice that they, they really are scared. I think Putin's getting some pushback from the higher-ups that we need to solidify our gains now, and that's why they're pushing so hard to have these regions vote to become part of Russia. So it's, it's amazing to see after seven months at this point of fighting. Oof, yeah, seven months of fighting at this point. It, we're finally getting some really good news and not just little trickles of it here or there. All right, so now from the international to the domestic. We have two stories here, one from Fox News. The Wall Street Journal editorial board warns of the real stakes of Democrats winning in the midterm elections. And I'll preface this one. They are very, very negative, and they're very sensationalist. And I understand that's their job. And they're taking quotes from the Wall Street Journal editorial board as well. Remember, these are all media apparatuses that are feeding into the, each other. They want sensational headlines. They really want to grip you and grab you and make you worried or you know make you come back for more information. So all this sensationalism, just you know, take it with a grain of salt. They have a point. It doesn't mean that it's the end of democracy or that if one party gets in, then oh, it's all over. That's it, it kind of feels like they're implying that at some point. And that can just, it can be a little too much. It can be a little dangerous. So let's get into the article. The Wall Street Journal editorial board warned Sunday, quote, what's really on the ballot in November, end quote, is increased taxes, permanent changes to voting processes, the abolishment of the Senate filibuster if Democrats maintain control of Congress in 2022 midterm elections. Quote, if the election polls are right, Democrats have a good chance of adding to their majority in the Senate and keeping it in the House, end quote, the editors wrote. Quote, towards the end, they are trying to convince voters that abortion and Donald Trump are the main election issues. But the real issue, by far the most important for actual policy, is whether voters will put a legislative check on the political left, they continued. The editors argued, with Trump not on the ballot and national abortion legislation as unlikely to pass the Senate, voters should instead consider 2022 as an opportunity to limit the power of the Kermit administration. Quote, the Democratic election strategy is a new version of their 2020 campaign bait and switch, end quote, said the editors. In 2020, they argued, Democrats, presented their campaign as a referendum on Trump and the government's COVID-19 pandemic response. But once elected, they, quote, pivoted to advance their far-left labor agenda and enact the biggest expansion of government in modern history, end quote. And they, they don't have, um, they have a point here. They're, they're not completely wrong. We were promised one thing, and obviously, as COVID went down and we saw less cases, less deaths, of course they have to, to pivot. But because of the situation we were in with COVID, they had basically one issue to campaign on, and we didn't get to have an insight into 
what a lot of them wanted to do. And even Joe Biden, he made some statements on the campaign trail, but for the most part, he was sheltered in his basement for a long time because of fears of COVID, because he might not be doing so well. He is getting older. So we didn't get a real insight into what they were going to do and how they were going to govern. Now we do have that. So we should actually vote on those issues rather than letting it become a referendum on Trump and abortion law again. At least that's what they're arguing, and I don't necessarily disagree. Quote, the Democratic left has given up any of this. However, as they are admitting, if you pay attention, the editorial board wrote, quote, the media are ignoring this as they echo the abortion and Trump narrative, so it's worth lying out what Democrats really have in mind based on what they've tried to do this Congress and are promising for the next, end quote. The editors warned that Democrats will target the filibuster as, quote, priority one because a 51-vote Senate majority opens the door to everything the current House has passed, end quote, with their candidates already promising to kill it. They also argued that a Democratic-led Senate would push to make D.C. a state override right-to-work laws and pile on new entitlements. Further, they said Democrats would vote to fundamentally change the national election forever and mandate that any changes in state election laws first be approved by Biden's Department of Justice. First off, that is unconstitutional. States have a right to create and administer their voting systems how they want to, devoid of how the federal government wants to do it. So that would probably go to the Supreme Court. But beyond that, you notice all the sensationalism here. Oh, they want to end the filibuster outright. They want to make D.C. a state. They want to override work, uh, right-to-work laws like we have here in Virginia or pile on new entitlements. And I'm not saying they're wrong. I mean, the filibuster has been a key talking point among Democratic and Republican circles over the last few years. But they said the exact same thing about making D.C. a state two years ago, and it didn't happen. Now, maybe they didn't have the political capital, and also, it was the first part of Joe Biden's administration, so maybe they felt there was going to be some blowback, and if they get in this time, at the tail end of a presidential term, they may be a little bit more bold and willing to do some of these things, but it's not a guarantee, and the Wall Street Journal editorial board is being very sensational, and Fox is taking advantage of that, so just keep it in mind. Don't take everything they say literally or 100% with a grain of salt, as always, because their bias is showing for sure. They warned that Democrats would also use their power to pass crushing environmental regulations and the consequences of which have already led to energy shortages and soaring prices throughout Europe and the United States. Quote, major tax increases will also be in play, the editors warned. Quote, Ways and Means Chairman Richard Neal recently told a Bloomberg reporter that Democrats will raise individual and corporate taxes if they keep power, end quote. And I have only one more quote here. I promise we're almost done with them in this article. Quote, there's much more we could include here, but you get the idea, the editors concluded. Quote, if Democrats add seats in the Senate and hold the House, there won't be much of a check on progressive ambitions. If they accomplish this with inflation at 8%, they will be even more emboldened. That is what's really on the ballot this November, end quote. And they bring up some good points here for sure. So 
I think that gives you some idea of where conservatives' heads are at, where it kind of frames how they see the issue. Now we have another article here from the New York Times that is going to frame how some liberals, progressives, are thinking about this election. The headline reads, Glenn Youngkin is playing a dangerous game. It's obvious Glenn Youngkin, the Republican governor of Virginia, wants to be president. Let's go, Virginia! That's my home state. Within months of taking office, Youngkin has already established two political organizations, Spirits of Virginia and American Spirit, meant to raise his profile in national Republican politics with donations and assistance to candidates both in his home state and across the country. In July, he met privately with major conservative donors in New York City, underlining the sense that his ambitions run larger than his term in Richmond, which doesn't surprise me whatsoever. He seems like a very ambitious man. And as you've probably heard, timing is everything. You need to use the political capital you have at the moment in order to propel yourself forward. So just like DeSantis is using this moment right now in Florida and possibly putting forward his name to run for president, I think Yunkin might have the same thing in mind. He seems like an ambitious guy. Yunkin is on a tour of the country, speaking and raising money for Republican candidates in key presidential swing states. And as he crisscrosses the United States in support of the Republican Party, Yunkin is neither avoiding Donald Trump nor scorning his acolytes. He's embracing them. In Nevada last week, Yunkin stubbed for Joe Lombardo, the Trump-backed Republican nominee for governor who acknowledges that President Biden won the election but says he is worried about the, quote, sanctity of the voting machines, end quote. In Michigan, Youngkin stopped for Tudor Dixon, the Trump-backed Republican nominee for governor who has repeatedly challenged the integrity of the 2022 presidential election. And later this month, in Arizona, Youngkin will stump for Carrie Lake, the Trump-backed Republican nominee for governor who accused Democrats of fraud in the state and says that, quote, unlike Governor Doug Ducey, she, quote, would not have certified, end quote, the 2022 elections. And it's interesting because they are right. The tact that Youngkin took while he was campaigning in Virginia is not openly supporting or trying to build up the Trump narrative. He was trying to frame himself as more of a a moderate Republican. And now that he wants to win a national vote in a country that is not necessarily as blue as Virginia is, where we would like a moderate Republican if we were going to elect a Republican, of course he's got to tailor his agenda to the wider audience. I mean, I think it's they acknowledge that it's not (laughs) stupid. He's not politically naive. You have to see what voters want and you have to listen. And if you're willing to change some of your positions or at least bend some of your preferred positions in order to accommodate what your voters want, then you have to do that. So I think they're kind of coming down hard on him here. And there's some... There are definitely some comparisons that I don't enjoy later in this article, but let's keep reading. Whether Yunkin agrees with any of this himself is an open question. In the 2021 Virginia Republican primary, the former private equity executive flirted with election denialism, but never fully committed. 
What matters for our purposes is that Youngkin believes he needs to cater to and actually support election questioners and deniers to have a shot at leading the Republican Party. You can sense in conversations about the present and future of the Republican Party a hope that there is some way to force the party off its current anti-democratic path. You could see it in the outrage over the Democratic Party, quote, meddling in Republican primaries, as the conservative columnist Henry Olson wrote for the Washington Post in July, quote, true friends of democracy would seek to build a new alliance that crosses old partisan boundaries, end quote. And yes, that's great, and that's really idealistic, and I think it's extremely naive. There are not as many places where the Democrats and Republicans agree. It's hard to come across on partisan boundaries because the left has moved so far left and the right has become so populous and includes so many people and so many old policies that the Democrats used to support themselves. So it's hard to come together. And I think that just saying, oh, well, we need to come across pardon lines is extremely, extremely daft. I don't see a clear path or as clear of a path as there was during the Clinton era or the uh, late 1980s when Democrats had to move a little bit to the right economically in order to sway voters to their side. Right now, the left and the right are at so far of different sides that if you're voting for left progressive policies, there is very little chance that you are going to sway to the right, meaning that you're not going to see them as a person that you want to cooperate with. So I think that's a little naive on um, Mr. Henry Olson's part, but, you know, it's nice in theory, and maybe we can get there someday, but I don't see it right now. Well, Yunkin, a more polished and ostensibly moderate Republican politician, aptly demonstrates is that this is false. The issue is that Republican voters want MAGA candidates, and ambitious Republicans see no path to power that doesn't treat election deniers and their supporters as partners in arms. Also, come on, not all MAGA supporters are election deniers. I don't want to just rip you New York Times, but they're not. Not every single MAGA supporter says outright that the election was denied. They may not even believe it. They may even be like, oh, good, Trump got his ass kicked and he's going to be reinvigorated this next election cycle. They're trying to bin everybody and, you know, put you into a category and say, that's what you are. You have these characteristics because you did this one thing. And that's just obscene. Back to the article. There is an analogy to make here in the mid-century Democratic Party, which was torn between a liberal northern pro-civil rights faction and a reactionary southern segregationist faction. The analogy is useful not because the outcome of the struggle is instructive in this case, but because the reason the liberal faction prevailed helps illustrate why anti-MAGA Republicans are fighting a losing battle. In 1948, the mayor of Minneapolis, 37-year-old Herbert Humphrey, called on the hundreds of delegates to the Democratic National Convention in Philadelphia to add a strong civil rights plank to the party's national platform. Quote, to those who say we're rushing those issues of civil rights, Humphrey said, quote, I say to them, we are 172 years late, end quote. You like my Humphrey voice? I think that's pretty accurate. Quote, the time has arrived for the Democratic Party to get out of the shadows of states' rights and walk 
forthrightly into the bright sunshine of human rights, Humphrey said. As the historian Michael Kazin notes in the, quote, What It Took to Win, a history of the Democratic Party, that both the speech and the spontaneous demonstration on the floor that followed convinced a majority of delegates and President Truman, reluctantly, to include the Civil Rights Pledge in the platform, end quote. But there were dissenters. A small number of Southern delegates left the convention in protest, calling themselves the States' Rights Democrat Party. They organized a challenge to Truman with Governor Storthram Whitman of South Carolina at the top of their ticket. These, quote, Dixiecrats were anti-civil rights and, for good measure, anti-labor. We stand for the segregation of the races and the racial integrity of each race, the constitutional right to choose one's associates, to accept private employment without government interference, and to earn one's living in a lawful way, end quote, reads the state's rights democratic platform, unanimously adopted at their convention in Oklahoma City the next month. We favor they continued, quote, home rule, local self-government, and a minimum of interference with individual rights, end quote. Of course, this meant the maintenance of Jim Crow, the subversion of the constitutional guarantees embedded in the 14th and 15th Amendment, and the continued domination of black Americans by a tyrannical planter-industrial elite. From its inception in the late 1820s as the movement to elect Andrew Jackson president, the Democratic Party relied on the Solid South to win national elections. Now it had a choice. Democrats could reject their new civil rights plank, accommodate the Dixiecrats, and fight with a unified front against a hungry and energetic Republican Party shut out of power since Hoover's defeat in 1932, or they could scorn the so-called states' rights Democrats and run a liberal party committed to equal rights and opportunity for all. They chose the latter and changed American politics forever. And while much of this choice was born of sincere belief we also should not ignore the powerful force of demographic change. From 1915 to 1965, more than 6 million black Americans left their homes in the agrarian South to settle in cities of the industrial North from New York and to Chicago to Philadelphia and Detroit and beyond. And yes, I know that they're getting pretty far off here from the, the point of the article or at least what they have the headline as, which is talking about Trump, Yunkin, and the MAGA Republicans. Then they do tie it up nicely here at the end. But I want to point this out because I think it's interesting. If you grew up learning history like I did, there was something taught called the Great Flip, where the, the parties basically flipped. Republicans started coming to the South. The Democrats started coming to the North. And while it's not true in the way that it's normally presented, the Democrats realized that there was an opportunity growing in the North in these industrialized and more populous cities where a large majority of black folks were moving. And they also wanted to change their platform to be more focused on providing equality for everyone in the United States. So that's why you saw this, this change in where Democrats tended to be elected more than just the South, like they mentioned when Andrew Jackson first brought the party together. So just keep in mind, they're trying to d demonstrate the shift that happened here 
that quote changed American politics in the 1940s, late 1940s, early 1950s. All right, back to the article. Their arrival marked the beginning of a tectonic shift in American political life. Quote, the difference in laws between the North and the South created a political coming of age for black migrants, end quote. The political scientist Kinesha N. Grant writes in, quote, The Great Migration and the Democratic Party, Black Voters and the Realignment of American Politics in the 20th Century. Seeing political participation as a badge of honor and hallmark of success in Northern life, migrants registered to vote in large numbers. Northern parties and candidates worked to gain black support through their election campaigns, and the parties expected black voters to turn out to vote for their nominees on election day, end quote. For a Democratic Party whose national fortunes rested on control of the urban machine, black voters could mean the difference between four years in power and four years in the wilderness. With the rise of Franklin Roosevelt, who won an appreciable share of the black vote in 1932, presidential election, Northern Democrat politicians began to pay real attention to the interests of black Americans in cities across the region. By 1948, most black Americans who could vote were reviably partners in the New Deal coalition, which gave liberals in the Democratic Party some of the political space they needed to buck Jim Crow. Yes, the Democrats would withdraw their support, But for every white vote Harry Truman lost in Alabama and Mississippi, there was a black vote that he might win in Ohio or California, the two states that ultimately gave him his victory over the fearsome former prosecutor and New York governor, Thomas Dewey. Not only did the Democrat rebellion, Dixiecrat rebellion fail, it demonstrated without a shadow of a doubt that Democrats could win national elections without the solid South. The segregationists were weaker than they looked, and over the next 20 years, the Democratic Party would cast them aside. There is no equivalent to northern black voters in the Trumpified Republican America. Put differently, there is no large and pivotal group of Republicans who can exert cross-pressure on MAGA voters. Instead, the further the Republican Party goes down the rabbit hole of, quote, stop the steal and other conspiracy theories, the more it loses voters who could serve to apply that pressure. In a normal, more majoritarian political system, this dynamic would eventually fix the issue of MAGA Republican Party. Parties want to win, and they want to almost always shift gears when it's clear that their existing platforms and positions don't work. The problem is that American political systems in its current configuration gives much of its power to the party with the most supporters in all the right places. Republicans may have lost the popular vote in seven of the eight presidential elections, but key features in the system... You know what? Hold on. I'm going to pause here because something was on my mind since that, that last paragraph, which is there isn't a substantial voting block that can... Uh, really shift the opinion here. And I, I disagree. It's suburban moms, suburban moms who have their finger on the pulse and are trying to pay attention to having safe communities and trying to ensure that their kids have the best opportunity growing up. Those kind of voters, they are huge. And Trump has lost a lot of them. And if the Republican Party can pivot back to its original uh, safety, security, 
uh, protection, stronger policing in some areas, or at least a police force that's competent in some areas and really push that, then I think they could have a, a voting block that could be large enough to allow people to shift away from the MAGA Republicans. I'm not saying that's good. I'm not saying that's bad. I'm just saying I think they're wrong here, or at least they're not taking into effect that suburban moms are a huge voting block here in the United States, and Trump is very off-putting to a lot of them. All right. They were talking about how it favors smaller states. Yes, Republicans may have lost popular vote in seven of the last eight presidential elections, but key features in the system equal state representation in the Senate, malappropriation in the House of Representatives, and the winner-take-all distribution of votes in the Electoral College gives them a powerful advantage on the playing field of national politics. To put it in simple terms, Joe Biden won the national popular vote by 7 million ballots in the 2020 presidential election. If not for 120 votes across four states, Arizona, Georgia, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin, Donald Trump would still be president which is all to say that someone like Youngkin is only doing what makes sense. To make MAGA politics weak among Republican politicians, you have to make MAGA voters irrelevant in national elections. But that will take a different political system, or a vastly different political landscape, than the one that we have now. Which, he's not wrong. The system we have currently does favor smaller states in order to ensure that the big populous states don't overrun them. And I think it's actually a good system because we're not a pure democracy. We can't just say, oh, 51% of people agree with this poll. Okay, let's enact this legislation. We need to take into account that we're a republic and we're supposed to be representing everybody as fairly as possible. So, though you may not think it's fair that a majority of people want something and it doesn't get passed, you have to remember we're trying to protect the small people that are not in power. So imagine it uh, this way. Right now, Democrats are more populous across the United States. So, of course, they're going to win the popular vote. And they always complain about it. But imagine an inverse situation where Republicans have more population. They have more people that are just conservative and would are likely to vote for them. Then those Democrats would complain, well, we don't have a voice. If it's a popular vote, they would just get outvoted every single time. So the whole point of having a republic is to reflect to protect the minority, protect the people that don't have a large enough voice to simply get what they want through majority rule. So, enough about politics. Let's move on to our daily delight. This one's a cute one. Turtle drives around on Hot Wheels while owner cleans his pool. It's commonly thought that turtles move slowly, and it's a stereotype that generally holds up, but not with Sergio the Turtle. Sergio lives with his owner, Kenny James, and on his own, he moves like a typical turtle, slowly. However, Kenny was able to fit Sergio with a special Hot Wheels car so Sergio can zoom around the house on wheels. Kenny used Silly Putty to stick the little toy car to the bottom of Sergio's shell, and Sergio simply uses his legs to push off the ground and wheels to do the rest of the work. It is a genius little design and one that Sergio quite seems to enjoy. An adorable video shared on TikTok, Kenny shows how Sergio passes the time while his pool is being cleaned. Like most turtles, Sergio loves to spend time in the water. 
and his pool is an important part of his home. But sometimes it needs to be cleaned, which means he has to find something else to do away from his pool. The solution, Hot Wheels. Sergio gets suited up on top of his little car and zooms off around the house. It's adorable. What a fun way to pass the time. And the video is indeed linked here in this article. If you want to see it or read any of the articles that I read here today, the link will be in the description below that like and subscribe button. And with that said, only one more thing to say. Stay safe. Don't die.